We are so excited to announce that we're going to be running a new motherhood support group. Starting September 8th, Sina and I will be leading a 10-part group to help reduce stress and cope with the challenges of new motherhood. This workshop offers new moms with babies from zero to one weekly group sessions that cover issues such as body image, the impact of motherhood on relationships and identity, mindful parenting, and self-care. The new motherhood support group will provide a space for connection, safety, and empowerment as we embark on the journey of parenting together. You will leave this workshop with a better understanding of motherhood and friendships with other new moms. The workshop will start September 8th and be on Thursdays from 12 to 1.30 p.m. You can register on Eventbrite, link to our website and Instagram at lovelink.co, or email us at info at lovelink.co if you want to learn more. Hope to see you there. Sexual energy, erotic energy is a powerful, beautiful, awesome force, but it has gotten beaten up by the culture. That's what I think is really exciting about where we're moving toward is, is uh, that we can and are sexually fluid. And that's, I think, a much more authentic representation of, of who we are. Welcome to Lovelink, your guide to love and sex in all forms. We're your hosts, Simone Humphrey and Sina Simon. Our guest today is someone we often talk to. He's a wise and clinically gifted couples and sex therapist and educator specializing in emotionally focused couples therapy. He's also our clinical supervisor and has helped us navigate many challenging cases. Here to talk to us today about working with gay couples and what straight couples can learn from them is Mike Moran. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Exciting to be here. We're so excited to have you. <laughs> we miss seeing you in person. <laughs> I know, right? Our every other Thursday appointment. It's is, true. Uh, yeah. So we're so excited to be interviewing you because Mike is our supervisor for couples therapy and emotionally focused couples therapy. So it's really great to, to see you in, this, in these different shoes with us. <laughs> I know. It's, this is going to be fun. I'm glad you invited me to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so to start us off, tell us a little bit about how you got interested in working with couples and also with the specialty in sex therapy. Sure. So what happened for me is in my very first uh, you know, marriage and family course, uh, who was actually, it was taught by, the professor was Ari Lev, who has written a lot on uh, transgender, working with the transgender population. She wrote Transgender Emergence back in like 2004 before, you know, when that, that whole, you know, model was just really being, was just emerging. Um, but I was bitten by systems right from that first course. I just, I loved the challenge of finding, you know, a way how to, you know, validate one person's reality without invalidating the other. There was just something, it's like part, part detective work, it's part like shaman soul work, you know, to be able to go into these places and help folks really drop into what's really going on within them and also between them, you know. So the couples thing just, you know, just, it just kind of, I, it, it just evolved for me. It just, it was like, it just kind of fell into my lap. And then when I was, you know, uh, jumping through the hoops for my clinical hours, I landed at an EAP and none of the therapists wanted to take uh, <laughs> the couple's cases. And I was like grabbing them. So I got a lot of experience very quickly, but I also learned very quickly, like I didn't know what I was doing. So that's when I, you know, really got, I found EFT and, and really dug into that model because it's, uh, it's such a beautiful way of working with folks. You know, it really gets in, it, it gets to the heart of the matter very, very quickly. Right. It's so interesting how couples work is so polarizing. You know, I think it really takes a certain type of person to love it because so many therapists really move away from it, really find themselves feeling overwhelmed or uncomfortable. So I, I think it, I mean, it speaks to all of us because we all love couples therapy, um, but <laughs> right. I, I do think it speaks to, to you and, and being really drawn to something like this. Maybe we're all masochists, Simone. 
<laughs> that's what it is. That's, that's the common denominator. There it is. I think that's, is. The, that's the truth. <laughs> but there's also, there is something about having a model like EFT, uh-huh. right. which you've done such a beautiful job of teaching us and you're such a pro at. I was really afraid of couples work beforehand, but then once I found this model, it was like, oh, okay, at least like when it gets chaotic and crazy in my body and I'm feeling anxious with a couple, I can always kind of lean back into the model. Right. That EFT, it's like, it's a roadmap for us, right? Mm -hmm. It's a roadmap. So when there's complete chaos in the room and it's, you know, one big shit show, you know, we have a, an understanding, you know, seeing this through the attachment lens, it's just, it, all of it makes sense. You know, I used to be freaked out when there'd be, you know, yelling and screaming. And now it's like, okay, I get it. You know, it's just, it's a way of understanding, you know, the escalation, the hurt, the conflict, you know, all the ways in which folks who love each other, you know, can be very destructive to each other because they're hurting so much and they want to, they want their partner to see their pain. They want, they want their partner to, you know, to respond to them. And this model, I just, for me, this model just helps me just kind of dig in there now, lean toward it versus what I think, you know, therapists who don't really enjoy couples work, right? They're intimidated by it and then they they move away and then, of course, nothing's going to happen. Nothing meaningful is going to happen. You're not going to be able to reorganize the relationship, restructure the relationship in that context. You have to move into the, the depth of what's really going on. And that's where I feel EFT is you know, just really powerful. And how did you get interested in incorporating sex therapy into your work in EFT? And obviously sex is a part of relationships and couples, but you also have a lot of training in sex therapy. Right. um, Right. As a sort of like standalone model. Yeah. 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 Well, so it was a bit of kismet because I've, I always wanted to be a sex therapist. I was born with a birth defect that impacted my sex life. So I got into sex therapy. I got into therapy with a sex therapist in my 20s and it like totally changed my life. So it's, it had always been on my radar, but it's, it's a huge, you know, undertaking to do that. So I just, I think it was a bit of kismet because I was working at a group practice uh, Margie Nichols, who is a really well-known uh, sex therapist, um, she has a group practice, and I was working at her practice, and she just decided that she wanted to uh, train several of us, and so she designed a sex therapy training program that then she got approved by ASECT, and you know all of us then you know jumped on board and uh, got trained and because she was a sex therapist and she was very well known and so we, we just had all the cases that we needed you know because there's all these components of the training you need clinical hours supervision hours um, training education all of this but so she really kind of you know put this together for us and uh, helped us you know move toward certification so it was it was just lucky because I was already getting trained in EFT and then I found, uh, I dropped into this. So then I just ran with it. So I was, I was learning EFT at the same time that I was uh, really learning sex therapy. So the two are kind of, they're kind of indelibly linked in my brain. I can't, I can't really think of, you know, working, uh, you know, with a couple without sort of holding the space for, so how is this impacting the sex? And also when working even with an individual client around a, a sexual issue, I'm still thinking of it through the relational lens, right? So that's kind of how I dropped into that intersection. And so great, because I think unfortunately so many therapists avoid talking about sex because mm-hmm. they don't necessarily have that background and it can be such a taboo topic. Right. If a therapist isn't bringing it up, patients have a harder time bringing it up. And then there's this collusion often where you can be working with a couple or a patient and have no idea what their sex life is when it's such an integral part of relationships, as you said. That is exactly right. It can be right. such a footnote in couples therapy training. Right. Like, oh yeah, sex is also part of relationships, but it's not really, yeah. It's not on. really addressed. I know, and that's why my my colleague, uh, uh, Zoya Simithutska, we do trainings for therapists um, to, you know, directly address sexual issues in EFT couples therapy because other, it can be so peripherally, 
you know, it's kind of, it can be the, like the, the pink elephant in the room and it's not being addressed. So, you know, we have to develop our skill set to really, because it is an important component. Of course, we take our cue from our couple, right? So if, if the couple is saying, you know, sex isn't great and it's not a big deal to either one of us, I mean, I always do individual sessions to ensure that that is the truth of each person, but you know, we're not going to pathologize that and tell them, no, it is a big deal. We need to work on this. Of course, we're not going to do that. But if it's a problem for one partner, it's a problem for the relationship. And so it, it needs to be addressed. Right. So you work both with uh, gay and straight couples. I do. I do. Yeah. And I'm wondering what are some of the differences, but also similarities that you see between gay and straight couples that you work with? It's funny because as an openly gay therapist, I was thinking I was just going to end up, you know, primarily working with gay couples, you know? And, you know, it's funny. I mean, I think we're lucky working in New York City because it's such a sophisticated, you know, population of people. And my practice is pretty much 50-50. And um, it's interesting, my gay couples, they often specifically, you know, you know, I, I self-identify, but they want to know that. My straight couples, they don't care. It comes up anyway in the work, because as you guys know, right, EFT is a very, it's a very transparent model, and we use, you know, we use ourselves, we identify, we relate, you know, ourselves in the, in the work with our couples. Um, but it's never been an issue. It's never been an issue. So I think um, the similarities of, of how I, you know, when I really kind of sit with uh, working with both populations, you know, I think on a certain level, regardless of sexual orientation, where we fall on that continuum, and we can talk about that, um, gender identity, you know, all of that, all of us, you know, on a certain level, we present very similarly, right? All of us want to feel understood. All of us want to feel like we're special to our partner or our partners, right? All of us want to be accepted just as we are. You know, we don't want to feel like we have to change for another, right? So on many levels, you know, and, and when, you, when you get into the deeper work, those are the themes you know, that's, that's, that's the waters that you're navigating in. Um, these very deep places where, you know, people want to be, you know, want to feel like their partner wants to be with them, right? Wants to feel like their partner wants to know them in all ways, right? Emotionally, relationally, sexually, what have you. Um, and in that place, I think, I think we're all the same, right? We're, we're all mammals regarding of our <laughs> sexual identity, right? We're wired for connection, right? Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's there. And it, it's funny as we do the deeper work, that's, that's sort of the, the, where we land and stay. Um, but as, as far as the differences, I was thinking about this. Um, you know, one of the things I've noticed is... Um, with straight couples versus my gay couples, um, with and of course all generalizations being false, you know all generaliz because this is certainly not true for every couple. But what I've noticed is with my straight couples, sometimes the boundaries in which they experience their relationship, the connection, how they understand. The relationship, how they understand sort of their role and their partner's role, what have you, that can be a little more rigid. It can be a little more culturally defined. You know, certainly not everyone. Um, and that I'm also seeing that with my with my younger, you know, straight couples, that's less true um, too. But um, I do think, generally speaking. You know, none of us, none of us escape. All of us have our challenges, right? And I see that with my straight couples, sometimes like the, the cultural milieu in which they're embedded in can feel um, like I have to help them um, move beyond that identity because it, it can really keep them stuck, right? Whereas I think with gay couples, there's a, there's a there's more fluidity there, right? There's more fluidity there. It's um, 
they're um, they're they're more able to sort of see beyond their uh, sort of the boundaries or how co the culture defines their role, right? Which makes sense because you know if you open to yourself being homosexual in a heterosexist culture or even a homophobic culture, right? You're having to do some deep work and really examining it to, to be able to cross the bridge to really owning your truth. So in doing in that journey, you've developed, you know, some, some real understanding of how the messages and the myths and the, the culture has kind of come down on you, which I think for, for many straight people, they don't have to necessarily, you know, do that same work. So that's where I have to kind of help them see, you know, do you really want to buy into these rules that kind of came down on you before you even knew you were ingesting them, right? Um, that said, then, with, with gay couples, too, where I see, um, I think the challenge for us in some ways, and again, this is certainly not true for everyone, um, but, you know, Growing up in a homophobic culture can really be wounding. It can really be wounding. And even when, you know, someone comes out and they, they claim their self, themselves and they, they've really, you know, addressed and now their identity as a, as a gay person is there. It doesn't mean that all of that aggression that was coming at them, you know, at a very young age when they, you know, they realize, you know, usually not, this is certainly not true, but usually this, you know, the, the narrative is like, I knew at a very early age, something was different. You know, some of my gay clients, you know, they're, they, they say like, I knew it by three, you know, I was like, you know, I was like trying on my mom's clothes and wearing her, you know, her jewelry and I was rocking around the house and I knew at that very early age. Other folks, they just, they just knew something was different right, the tomboy, what have you, right? Um, but they, they get a sense that there's something off and they don't quite fit in. And so that's a journey to really relinquishing all of that sort of, you know, all those messages that come at you that's saying, you know, there's something wrong with you. Um, and so that can, be, that, that can be a part of the work. I'm wondering how that the trauma of growing up in a homophobic culture and many times a homophobic family impacts romantic relationships. I wonder if you see that trauma kind of seeping into couples. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've, you know, I'm working with a, a gay couple right now. Uh, they're cisgender, cisgender men, Caucasian men, um, and uh, one was sexually abused as a child and uh, by a family member, and it has absolutely um, played out in their relationship and in their sexual connection, right? Um, it's interesting because with, with, with that case, they have a really solid um, relationship. But with respect to their sexuality, it has, it, you know, they got into therapy with me because the sex had never been good. And that's the kind of thing with trauma, right? Trauma can hijack, hijack our sexuality. And so with this, you know, with this one gentleman, we've really slowed things down to help him kind of reclaim the sexuality that just kind of got buried under the trauma. Um, mm. And with that, he also grew up very effeminate, you know, you know, all the sort of traditional sort of stereotypical concept of, you know, gay boys. And um, he was shamed for that. He was shamed for that. So then all those barbs, you know, we take in all those barbs around like, what's wrong with us, what's wrong with us, what's wrong with us. And that's kind of the unconscious running theme, the running narrative that kind of is threaded through his nervous system. And then, so we have to kind of unearth all of that, you know, and and uh, and kind of cross the bridge. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, I'm also thinking of, of different levels of acceptance of, of one partner who grew up, grew up in a more homophobic community or more homophobic family than their other partner. Because I can think of, 
one or two couples I've worked with where one is is very proud and open to be out and the other Mm. there's still some discomfort in what that means when they're in public and one partner wants to kiss in public and the other feels incredible shame around that or how it how it turns up in terms of thinking about planning marriage being out and and the conflict and then the rejection that that one partner who might feel very comfortable being out um, feels when the other person kind of recoils from that totally i feel like simone you've been like listening in on so many of my sessions you know this whole concept of pda i can't tell you how many couples how many gay couples i've worked with where one you know one partner is just very comfortable and kind of you know comes from that activist stance of like i'm not gonna let anybody you know intimidate me or tell me i can't you know you know do what i want to do with my with my partner right and it's so funny how then so often they're hooked up with you know their partner is on the other end of that right the antithesis of that and they have they struggle with it right Mm -hmm. so this is where you know this is where our concept of there's two realities and they're both right you know how do we and nobody's wrong here you're just different people with different nervous systems with different histories with a different understanding right and so this is one of those places where we have to how do i help you cultivate a place where you can both be accepting of that and what does that look like maybe sometimes there will be maybe you know the person who doesn't like it can take a risk a little bit and and give a little more pda where they're they're feeling okay about it and maybe sometimes the person who needs to like French kiss in front of everybody on the street can kind of chill out a little, right? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you referenced, you know, identity, sexual identity, and also fluidity. And I'm wondering, just for our listeners, if you could define for us, you know, what is what? How do you understand sexual identity? What is that? It's a good question. You know, it's a good question. Um, I think on a very fundamental level, right? We know that sexuality, we know our sexuality. I mean, look, Alfred Kinsey, the great sex researcher, right? He told, he said, the one constant in human sexuality is variability, right? We know that sexual orientation, sexual identity, it lies on a continuum, right? We know this, right? There's, you know, we think of, you know, hetero, homo, and bisexual, but there's also you know, two groups that aren't as well known, which is mostly hetero and mostly homo, right? (laughs) And so (laughs) it really is a continuum. It really is a continuum. And I've worked with many people who primarily identify as straight or gay, but have had genuinely pleasure, you know, pleasurable, hot encounters with, with the opposite sex right gay gay and straight right this this mostly hetero mostly homo and my feeling is the folks that do that i think actually most of us are not exclusively one or the other and i think it has to do there's a lot of that's where sort of the intersection of culture you know um history so many factors come come into play there um, but it is there. That's what I love about where we are today, you know. We, and it's also it speaks to what you guys are doing in the whole theme of your podcast, you know, around sexual fluidity. Because I think this is a much healthier, more more um, accurate, uh, and a more loving version of understanding how sexuality flows through us. Sex, you know. Sexual energy, erotic energy is a powerful, beautiful, awesome force, but it has gotten, you know, beaten up by, you know, the culture for how many years? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you know? Sexuality is like the taboo thing, right? It's, it's been a form, so many institutions have, you know, kind of shrouded it, you know, to, in a form of social control. You know, so that's what I think is really exciting about where we're moving toward is, is uh, this that, that we can that we can and are sexually fluid. And that's, I think, a much more um, authentic representation of, of who we are. Even though we have a long way to go in terms of sexual education, mm-hmm. and I think what we're saying now is often seen as very progressive, unfortunately, mm-hmm. rather than just kind of honest and authentic. But 
it is exciting how there is more and more of the kind of idea of a spectrum coming into more of our vernacular. And I think you mentioned sexual identity, but also gender identity. Mm-hmm. And and I'm curious because you, you've been seeing patients now for some time. And I'm wondering if you've noticed just in the way some of your patients are presenting their sexual identity and their gender identity, if you've noticed differences over over the years um, in how patients are talking about this absolutely there's no doubt no I think we're I I think we're moving to I I, I like the direction in which we're moving you know um, I think folks you know clinically and just people you know the, the the people we work with I mean we're all people right we're we're clients as well as we're therapists you know and um, I see a, a real movement toward um, embracing this this idea of fluidity in this way. Th- that you know, general. I think we're less defensive. I mean, I remember working with this straight couple, and they were they were like as they couldn't be more straight. They couldn't be more straight. But I forget exactly what was happening in the moment. But the the male, you know, the cisgender male uh, partner. Um, says spontaneously, like, look, look, I'd have sex with Brad Pitt. Who wouldn't have sex with Brad Pitt? <laughs> you know? And we just, we all laughed, you know, we all laughed. So I do think the, the lens is softening, you know, the lens is softening with this. You know, these, and these young couples that come into my office, they are not imprisoned in the same way that you know my generation and that's that's the beautiful thing right about growth you know my generation capitalized on the 60s right i mean if you think about how gay and and lgbtqia folks lived before the sexual revolution i mean it was you know how that just was so Oppressive. Oppressive, that perfect word, right? And so, you know, my generation really capitalized that. And I feel feel like we're all, we just keep moving the ball, right? And these young kids that come into my office now, they've capitalized on, uh, on, you know, the work that, that we've done. And hopefully we'll just keep, keep moving the ball. But yeah, I think it's, it's moving in the right direction. Yeah, that's my sense as well. I mean, I find that with couples, heterosexual women, straight women, are more open to talking about their same-sex experiences than men are. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas some of the men I have in individual therapy have been open about having, who identify as straight, Mm -hmm. have been open about some of the experiences, you know, with with gay men when they were growing up, or just with with other boys, Mm -hmm. but they don't bring that, haven't had Mm. many men or any men bring that up in couples therapy. There's more acceptance around women having uh, gay experiences than But it's interesting because I think women who have gay experiences, it's really eroticized, but it's still often set within the kind of male gaze, within like a kind of patriarchy. Yeah. Like I, I think it's oftentimes invalidated or dismissed as, okay, well, that's not a real romantic relationship. Yeah, I think that... Um I think it does, there's something about the culture that, you know, for women to have sex with women, there's just, I think there's just more, there's more acceptance around it. It's like, Mm. and remember, why is lesbian porn so, so through the roof with straight men, right? They, they they love that, you know, they love that, right? It's all making sense to me now. <laughs> <laughs> right? But there, yeah. there, with men, there, it takes, you know, I think there's a certain um, sort of like masculine prowess. This is culturally defined. I'm not saying that this is true, but it's, it stems from the culture saying that if you were to do that, if you were to have sex with another guy and be open about it to your female partner, that somehow that would taint her capacity to see you, you know, see your strength. That somehow it would weaken her experience of you versus yeah. the other, right. I don't think is the same, you know? Right. So mm-hmm. it would make you it's more threatening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right. less masculine. Right. right. And I'm That's putting that right. in quotes. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Right. When, when you think of two women having sex, are they less feminine? 
right? Are no. they? Do you consider no. them that then they're more less feminine sometimes? Right, exactly. Okay. But to men, right? It's like they have to relinquish their masculinity or something. There's yeah, it's it's it yeah. stems from a heterosexist, you know, culture of sort of needing to pigeonhole yeah. that identity. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think a lot of people who identify as bisexual really feel like they don't always feel accepted by any community. The the straight community yep. sees them as more gay, or the gay mm -hmm. community sees them as more straight, and and it's like there's not a lot of acceptance around something that could be, you know, so in between. And I've worked with you know a number of people over the years who are truly bisexual. They fall in love with a person. It makes sense if it's a continuum. Yes. If sexual sexuality is on a continuum, it makes sense that there are some people that hit right in the middle of the curve. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're right. You know when when you know bisexual people they get can kind of get denigrated from the gay community because they're like come out already come out already and then the straight community doesn't want to really accept them so they get you know yeah. they get they get thrust into their own sort of you know challenges there we invite you to spend the next few moments just listen. Brought to you by Non, spelled N O N, the sound meditation app for iPhone, where no two sessions are alike. You were talking about how in gay relationships, gay men are not as boxed in by these societal expectations of relationship, right? In the same way that people who identify as straight are. And I wonder what that opens up in relationships. It's a good question. So what does that allow for that maybe gets shut down in straight relationships? I mean, and these are, again, generalizations. Mm -hmm. but. Yes, and I know what you're, I know what you're kind of, you know, dropping into there. I think, um, again, I think that with you know, the journey of truly embracing your gay identity, you know, of relinquishing the power that comes with being heterosexual, right? And I and and kind of moving through the world from that in that identity. You have to relinquish all that. And in order to really drop into your gay power, you know, you have to find your own your own formula for that in a way. And so because we have to do that difficult work, I think through that journey, we have an experience of our bodies that it is so, um, that, that, that we're not defined by the culture in which it needs to pigeonhole us. You know, this reminds me of a, of a, a gay couple that I was working with where um, they came in because um, of infidelity. Right, and this is another. Actually, this is another point where I what I see different uh, differences between working with straight and gay couples because you know, as you guys know, we work with infidelity a lot. Right, it's 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 out there, and um, what I find is with my straight couples, it can really you know that that betrayal that experience can just really erode the fabric of the connection it can really do damage um and we have to kind of find a way to weave that fabric together you know find a way to to move beyond that hurt and help them really understand what happened and what have you that's a whole journey but with gay couples i find with infidelity there's hurt there right there's hurt there but it's it doesn't usually go to the depth of pain that it does that I see with with straight couples. So with this gay couple, they came in because of the infidelity. Um, 
One was going, you know, this the sex had been shut down for a while, right? Not uncommon. It was a sexless relationship at, at some point. And the one cup the one partner was going outside for sex, right, but not telling the partner. They had an understanding that they were gonna be monogamous, but there was no sex going on. The the one partner, the way he dealt with it was by just by shutting down, right? He just kind of foreclosed on his sexuality. He didn't even masturbate that much. And then the other partner was busy. You know, but he had the kind of job where he, you know, he could do whatever he wanted. Um, he could leave the office for three hours at a time, what have you. So he was dealing with it um, by going outside the relationship for sex. The, the partner was just kind of had foreclosed on it. Mm -hmm. And so, but what was really beautiful is the partner that was, that was going outside the relationship for sex, he actually came forward and told the partner because he was feeling so bad about it. Right. This was not an instance where, you know, the other partner discovered it, which is often the case. Right. He came forward and said, told him about it. And that's when they found me. Um, so but with that, it was I mean, I've had I've had cases where it it took a while before there was genuine understanding and connection around what went on back there. Right. And with that, you know, this couple, it was a few sessions before the hurt, you know, from the betrayed partner, he got it, you know, you know, this bars back to what we were talking about earlier. He got it once he really, once he really got that they were dealing with it, they were dealing with the sexual disconnect in very different ways because they're different people with different histories and all of this, right? Um, and his partner has a higher sex drive than he does, right? You can't ignore the physiology, right? But once he got that, the hurt, you know, just resolved pretty quickly, which is, as you guys know, is not always the case, right, with with infidelity. It can, you know, it can really... Oh, <laughs> it can be take a long, long journey. A right. journey, yeah. Right. Oof. Yeah, yeah. And, and with straight couples, it, it, I mean, it's hard to come back from for a lot of people. It can be, right, Sina? It can, it can yes. Be. And, and yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's it's a lot of work. It is. There's something about that that can be just really be like um, toxic or just, just really erode. The, yeah. the, that's how I sometimes describe it, right? It kind of, it can really erode the cord of the lifeblood that carries, that carries the lifeblood of the relationship, right? And we have to repair mm -hmm. that. Yeah. There's no trust. So so I'm curious, like just as with gay relationships, you know, there's in some ways, it's like there's more flexibility because there isn't these traditional roles that mm -hmm. and expectations that right. are inculcated in, in these couples. I'm wondering what expectations are brought to gay relationships. Like, are there certain yes. either stereotypes or expectations that um, come up when you're working with your gay couples? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the big one that comes to mind as you say that Simone is it's around sex you know we <laughs> gay couples we you know we there is a, a almost like a it's like a preoccupation or an obs not obsession but there's an understanding let's put it this way you know where we that that if you're in a if you're in a gay relationship then the sex has to be hot right from the beginning it's got to be it's got to be hot right through the <laughs> You know, forever. They never have to go through a limerence period. They stay in the limerence period, right, forever in the sex. And you snap your fingers and you're hard and you're ready to roll. Oh, and you can Not last as long as you want. <laughs> and it's unbelievable. And, and sex always ends with this amazing orgasm simultaneously coming together. Right? All of this, right? Yeah. And it's it's not the reality of things. So we can... It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot, a lot of, of pressure. It's a lot of pressure, right? It's good work. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure. So, yeah. you know, I have to I have to help my gay couples kind of come back to come back to earth with that. You know. Yeah. yeah. Something that I've noticed too is um, I tend to work with gay men who are not interested in open relationships, mm -hmm. but worry mm. about entering a relationship or entering. Um, just assuming that their partner will want that mm -hmm. and being worried that they won't be accepted. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that, has that shown up in your office at all? Like an expectation that gay relationships should be open. Um, Absolutely. And, and of course there's a lot of gay men that don't want open relationships and that kind of conflict. Exactly. Well, you know, I think there's, there's several pieces to that pie. You know, one 
is that, you know, through the sexual evolution, you know, we could have open relationships, right? We were a sophisticated culture that could have, you know, loving relationships but not be tied to having sex with one person, all of that. So there's a whole history there, right? Um, that there's an identity there, there's, there's, there's power there, that we were able to break through the molds of a traditional sexuality, right? But with that said, we're all people, right? And just like what you're saying, Simone, that's what I've seen as well. You know, I work a lot with, you know, gay couples who come into my office because they've opened up the relationship, they've done the, you know, okay, we have to, you know, the sex is not, is not what it was during limerence, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. the way they deal with that, they don't talk about it, they don't try to figure it out, right? They don't try to kind of move move that needle on their own, right? They, well, mm -hmm. that, well, you know, let's just open up the relationship. But that requires, you know, the capacity to hold that, right? And so they do that and then it ends up being one big mess and one or both people are really hurt and they don't know how to process it and that's when they, that's when they land in our offices, right? And so I've been present for that a lot and that's, that's tricky because, you know, on that, in that journey, what, I have to, what we have to do is help folks drop down into what, their, what is their deepest truth. Because I've worked with, with couples where, you know, at the, uh, on the other end of the, of, the, of, the, of the journey when we're wrapping up, what we got to was their deepest truth is that they're just, they just don't want an open relation. They just don't want to go there. It's just not who they are, right? But they can tell their, see on that journey, as we cross that journey, they can tell their partner in a loving way, I get it. I get why you'd want that, but that's just not who I am, right? But I've also worked with couples that presented very similarly, right? Big mess, chaos, <laughs> right? And as we did our deeper EFT, and the, this is the key, right? The partner who is worried about, like, that is saying, I don't want that, I don't want that, I don't want that. Is that about their deepest truth, or is, is it about fear? Because if they could really get, not just in their heads, but in their bodies, that their partner would drop the adventure in a minute, for them, if they really got that there was no threat, would they be open to it? Right? If they really got, not just in their head, but in their bodies, if they really got, right, that their partner is there for them, their bond is secure, it's solid, their safe haven is in place. And, you know, remember, as, as the stronger the base, home base is, the more we can have an adventure. Right? That just borrows back from attachment theory. Right? The stronger home base is, the more we can have an adventure. So if home base is really strong, yeah, have an adventure, honey. You know, go have some fun. I get it. And it's not a threat. So that's, but you have to stay really present for each person's truth. I've seen it. I've seen it evolve to where I get it. You know, we can do this. And I've seen it evolve where, honey, it's just not my thing. I just, I don't, I'm, this is not for me. Right? right. Yeah. And that's a, such an important distinction to be making you know, it's funny, it's like the opposite problem with straight couples. Um, and again, I'm generalizing, but there the expectation is monogamy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, if somebody's truth is that they want to explore more open relationship, there's a lot of anxiety around coming forward with that. Whereas like what Simone said is in gay, in gay couples, right? It's, it's the opposite. It's like the expectation almost is non-monogamy. Right. It's so true, isn't it? I know. Yeah. It's fascinating. But I think what you said, Mike, is such a core of all open relationships. You know, whether it's straight or gay, if you can have a secure, a really secure bond that brings a lot of clarity and, and permission either to decide, you know what, monogamy is right for me, or I can go out and have fun and we can still be really connected and then it's, it, it becomes acceptable. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think, I think what, we, what we end up sort of dropping into is, you know, for some people, sex is so tied to the experience of their partner and it's it's so tied to like this is our special place right that this is such an integral primal component of of the safe haven right and so for those folks 
it just, you know, it's like, why would we do that? I, I can't imagine. It's just like the, the bottom would fall out, right? For other people, sex is just sex, right? Sex is like, hmm, this feels good. And, you know, we can, you know, I, I've worked with couples that, I'm working with a couple right now. This is a cisgender, you know, straight couple, but on, you know, fluid. They're fluid because it's interesting. She's dropping into realizing how she's more bisexual, right and he's dropping into where uh he's interested in three ways opening up the relationship right so then on a certain level you think well this is great just you're going to invite a, a third in and you know you can and the the female can explore her bisexuality and the male partner can sort of enjoy his you know that but yet it's interesting because you know, and they originally got into therapy with me because they wanted to cultivate their sexual relationship. They wanted to create more charge, more erotic, more erotic satisfaction. Fact, sorry, satisfaction in their relationship. But it's interesting as the as the work has evolved. You know, there's a lot of insecurity in both of them around doing that for her. What's it going to mm -hmm. be like? You know, to you know what happens if because she really loves her partner. She really love. They have a beautiful. It's a young couple. They're awesome. They I love working with this couple. They're so open. They're not, you know, they're not defended. They're just they're great. But she has she has insecurities around if I were to really embrace this, right? What what would be the impact of this on my identity? What would be the impact of this on my on my partner on our relationship? Right? She has all kinds of there's fear around that. Right. And for him, you know, while the while the the idea is so enticing about, you know, perhaps having a, a three way or what have you, um, you know, he's worried about, well, what would it be like if she starts enjoying herself more with our third than than me? And so there's but it's so rich. Right. It's I mean, that's that's what's so beautiful about our work is that we really get to go into these very, you know, deep, rich um, places with people in their lives and really help them um, learn how to open and embrace their the complexity of who they are, you know, versus defend against it and kind of put it under the you know put it put it in the in the in a corner you know under the rug sweep it under the rug you know which does not lead to quality of life it doesn't lead to a life that's expanding it's that's contraction. Yeah, really opening up the fears. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. things that aren't talked about. So, I mean, this couple, first of all, sounds wonderful to work with. I mean, to work with an open couple who's exploring their identities. This is like every couple's <laughs> therapist's dream. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so but true. maybe it would be helpful to our listeners. I mean, how, how do you, uh, like, if you can walk us through a little bit about how you're helping them to deepen their own inner exploration while still kind of being connected and sharing with each other what, what does that actually look like sure so with that couple we first did some work because they came in wanting to create more gratifying sex between them right and so the first I do a thorough assessment you know I have a I do one session um, together and then I do a series of individual sessions uh, because I really want to, you know, I want to get a thorough understanding in my body, not just my head, around how this person's sexuality emerged, you know, came of being, and and then how how it's you know lived on in their life before they met their partner. Remember, most most sexual problems stem from the first seven years of life, you know. And I tell my I tell my couples that right. This stuff was in your bodies long before you guys met. Unless somebody met when they were in kindergarten, unless a, a couple met in kindergarten. I don't think I've ever worked with that, have I? I don't know. <laughs> um, but so that first chapter of work, it's interesting. You know, she, she's, you know, some of us have sex to feel connected, right? Other, others of us have sex as a product of feeling connected, right? You see the, you see the potential gridlock there, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Some of us are feeling disconnected. So the body says, let's have sex and we'll, we'll feel connected again. This is good. Come on, let's have sex, right? Their partner is feeling disconnected and their partner's, you know, narrative is, uh, we're not, we're, we're disconnected. Why on earth would I want to have sex with you? Mm -hmm. Right. So she was, of course, like most couples, she was wired as having sex as a product of feeling connected. He was wired as having sex to feel connected. Right. And in that place, 
she was, and this was, this was important work that we kind of untangled, she was experiencing, and it makes sense, right? She was experiencing him as kind of manipulative, you know, to get her into bed, to get her in the mood. She was experiencing his moves. I mean, he just remember, this guy, he wants, he, he loves his partner. He wants to experience her closeness. He wants to experience her emotionally through the erotic channel, right? To feel connected. This isn't just about getting off. Yes, sex feels good, right? The orgasm feels good. Right? But in long-term committed relationships with people we love, right, that only lasts so far. Now we want more, we want deeper connection. All you have to do is look at Peggy Kleinplatz's research on that. You know, she's done amazing research around that, around optimal sexuality. So with that, what we, what we learned is his advances toward her were landing in her body. Remember, there's two realities, they're both right. Her, his advances were landing in her body as kind of like, you're not really trying to get close to me. Mm-hmm. You just want sex. So her body was rejecting them. Mm-hmm. And then the negative cycle would ensue, right? Because he's just wanting to try to, you know, kind of, you know, create some mood, create some, you know, some energy to get them sort of into the erotic, you know, you know, portal, right? I tell my, my, I ask my couples all the time, how do you see your domestic partner through the erotic lens, right? How does your eros come alive for you, right? This guy was more like a light switch. You know, it was very easy for him to see his partner through the erotic, you know, that erotic portal opened up very quickly. For her, she was a little more of bells and whistles. There were certain criteria, there, there was a certain experience that she needed in order for her portal, that eros, to come alive. And it was not happening. You know, he and he was he wasn't a bad guy. He was doing everything he could. You know, he just wanted to try to create create an energy, an atmosphere for her to, you know, want him, to desire him, right? Right? One of the biggest aphrodisiacs we can have is to feel desired. But he was going about it all in the wrong way given her internal experiencing reality. And once we really untangled that and she got that he was not being, he was not trying to just get off, but he was actually, this was, was a, a place where he was really enjoying connecting with her, not just on the physiological, but on the emotional too, right? It's like through that channel. Once she got that when that is stymied, it hurts, like he feels disconnected from her, right? And once he got that for her, she was, you know, she was, she was wired in a way that she really need, she needed to really experience him, his care. She needed to really experience him as wanting to be with her. Once they reorganized around that, you know, things, things started to, to come alive, right? Eros started to emerge. I feel like this is such a common issue that I see with straight couples mm. where the woman feels used mm-hmm. sexually. Yes, right. Um, Obligatory sex is not fun, right? No, yeah. not fun at a terrible feeling of, of obligation and all of the stuff that gets wrapped up in it. But right, what you're saying is, you know, both realities are true, but they're they're just different. Right. Right, like... So getting getting each partner to see the other person, like what is behind the behavior, what is behind so important, exactly, so feeling, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah it's um, you know, because they come in pathologizing each other, right? She's let's say it's a traditional where she's you know the female straight couple and. You know, she's wired to have sex as a product to feeling connected. He's wired to have sex to feel connected, right? So they come in pathologizing each other, right? They're shooting darts. She's frigid. She's cold. What's wrong with her? Can you fix her? What does she need? There isn't a female Viagra tablet. What am I going to do? I'm sex starved, right? And her, <laughs> right, her, her narrative, her narrative, like, what's wrong with him? He's always pulling on me for sex. Doesn't he understand everything? This is a sex addict. Right, the sex yeah. addict. All that. All that, yeah. right? Yeah. So we you're, you're teaching yeah. them to be more relational with each other, yes. rather than blaming and separate. And this is my experience. And it sounds like that that is such a foundation to then. I mean, if they're thinking of opening up their relationship, they've got to be connected to each other in that, because exactly. otherwise, yeah, their relationship becomes very fragile and very threatened. Right, and they start seeing they they. That's what 
creates, you know, insecurity, not feeling that you can really trust your partner, not really feeling like your partner has your back because you're always getting these darts of like, what's wrong with you? That's why, you know, the sexual cycle and the relational cycle, they're different systems, they're different cycles, but they're inextricably linked. You can't, you know, they're usually very, they very much impact the other. So what what can straight couples, I mean, we sort of touched on this a little bit with the kind of openness and the fluidity, but I'm wondering if there's anything else you can think of that straight couples can learn from gay relationships that would be helpful. You know, the, the phrase that comes to mind when you say that is um, soften the gaze, soften the gaze. You know, um, I think... I think, again, all generalizations being false, but I think gay couples, perhaps because of the journey of having to accept ourselves and having to kind of work through that stuff so much, um, I think we may be a little more kind of accepting or understanding that our partner is so different and it's okay right it's okay right this is something we have to work with all the time with our couples right it's like you know it's so scary and i say this when we get into the when we get into this place i name it right it is so these moments when you see that your partner is so different from you. These moments in these places where you don't connect, where you don't see things eye to eye, where they live in a completely other world, right? These moments are so scary. And so what do you do? You know, now some people turn up the heat, some people turn down the heat, right? But either way, they're not opening their heart, mind, and body to these places where their partner is so different. Right, but their partner is different. No two people are the same, right? And many people have real feelings about embracing this this person, you know, embracing this person who lives in a completely different world but sleeps next to them every night. And I feel like with gay couples, generally speaking, they have a little more understanding. It just feels a little more accepting of that challenge, where with Sometimes with my straight couples, it can feel like they're they're, <laughs> they're they're like holding on, holding on for dear life, right? Don't make me see that. Don't make yeah. me see it. Don't know we are. No, we're a team. We're, we're the team. same we're person. Team. The same <laughs> Something. Not that they want them to be the same person, yeah. but they. It's a little harder. Yeah. It's a little. It 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 kind of um can kind of it it somehow like like taints the fantasy of of the utopia that. You know that we that we have this relationship that is just so amazing. We really are one person. We're different people. You know all of this. So yeah. Well, and it's the whole like social construction of what straight relationships should be. Right. That's right. There's yeah. a yeah. there's an idea of what the perfect relationship should look like. That's there's not the same idea with gay couples. It's more open. It can be what you want it to I be. I think that that's right. I think that's what, yeah. what we're zeroing in on. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's exactly. beautiful advice. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So as we're coming to a close, um, how can folks reach you? How can they find out more about you? Uh, well, my, just go to my website. My website is www.fulfilledcouples, plural, fulfilledcouples.com. Um, yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Nice. And are there any um, recommended resources you have for our listeners, whether that's something you've read recently that you enjoyed or saw or listened to? Um, yes. I mean, the book that I'm, I'm you know, I'll, I'll say one for therapists and one for, for couples. Um, for therapists, pick up um, Narrative Sex Therapy by Suzanne Iasenzen. Ayasenza, she's a mentor of mine, and she's awesome, and she, um, you know, she just, she's great, um, and her book is wonderful. So, and it's a great book for couples therapists to read for, um, for you know, to to learn about how to address sex in in the couples work. Um, for 
uh, your, you know, for couples, pick up Magnificent Sex. Do I have, I just, I was just looking at it. Right here it is. Pick up, Ma- oh, never mind. I forgot. <laughs> this this is just a podcast. We it's can not look a at sin. It. We can see They're it. not going to be able to we see this. See yeah, you guys can look at it. Pick, <laughs> pick up Magnificent Sex, Lessons from Extraordinary Lovers by uh, Peggy Kleinplatz and Adana Menard. Great. Um, great. That's great. That'll be, that, that's great reading. Well, it was so lovely to have you on. Thanks so much for being here with us. Yeah, this was fun. I'm glad we did this. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To stay in touch with us, sign up for our quarterly newsletter at lovelink.co, where we share our favorite articles and resources about love, sex, and relationships. Also, in future episodes, we plan on answering listener questions. So if you'd like your questions featured on our show, send us a voice memo using the Anchor app or send it directly to our email, info at lovelink.co. And if you have a second, truly, the best way you can help support us is to rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. Just scroll to the bottom of the Lovelink show page and let us know what you think. We thank you all again so much for listening. We're truly touched you take the time out of your busy schedule for us. Until next time. Mm-hmm.